are looking for a mobile wallet to hold and access your crypto assets, you need to go to Argent.xyz and download the Argent Smart Contract Wallet onto your Android or iOS device. Argent is one of the most secure ways to hold your crypto assets on your mobile device while still being able to access all the DeFi products and services that we know and love. Argent has enabled one-tap access to all the DeFi applications that we all use the most and recently onboarded into the Argent app is the YEARN vaults. You can now access yield from a specific vault from YEARN and then YEARN handles the rest. Also new to Argent is Balancer and being able to supply liquidity to Balancer pools and also receive BAL rewards for doing so all from your Argent wallet. One of Argent's newest features is the ability to route trades and swaps through the various liquidity pools in the ecosystem, ensuring that you always receive the best rates when you trade inside of Argent. Argent has done a ton of effort into making sure that your assets are as safe as possible. They have social recovery options with their Guardians feature, making sure that any trusted friend or family member can restore your access back to your Argent wallet if you were to ever lose or break your phone. And there's also some simple account features such as sending limits and whitelisted accounts, making sure that your money doesn't ever do anything that you don't explicitly approve. In order to see the Argent wallet in action, go to argent.link bankless and download the app. We're also brought to you by Monolith. Monolith is your cool new DeFi account, your DeFi savings account, your DeFi checking account. Except the cool thing about the Monolith DeFi account is that it gets software updates, right? You actually get to increase the usefulness of this over time. So here are some of the features. Monolith is a smart contract wallet with a lot of the features that you would expect if you've come to know DeFi and what it is. You can, you can add money to it. You can put that money to work uh, in compound and, and accessing yield. Uh, but you can and you can also swap through Uniswap. What was cool with Monolith is that they will send you a very sexy Monolith Visa card that connects to your smart Monolith smart contract wallet on Ethereum. So it's a really awesome tool to live a bankless life with a, a, a savings account that gets software updates. So this is, this is something that you're never gonna find out in the real world, but you can still do real world things with you know real money in, like buy your groceries. So that's just fantastic. Coming soon to Monolith, actually already here to Monolith, is now you can buy DAI and get it sent to your wallet directly, right? So it's also being an on-ramp. So you you don't have to go through your centralized exchange like Coinbase or Gemini or wherever. You can just go straight from your bank account right into your Monolith checking account smart contract wallet. So check them out at monolith.xyz. David Hoffman, second week of December. What are we doing today? We are rolling it up, Ryan. We are compressing a whole entire week's worth of information into a 25-minute video. We are going to give five minutes to a bunch of different topics. First, the market. What is the market telling us? Then five minutes for what got released. Then we go into what's in the news. And then we get into what is on our minds. And lastly, we finish with what we are excited about. We are rolling up the week and injecting it right into your brain. So we're not going to say anything about that weird intro we just did, David. No. We're just going to act like it's normal and ignore it? Okay. The podcasters Fantastic. Won't, won't have seen it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Guys, this comes at you every Friday morning. So you can drink your Friday morning coffee and you can enjoy the week in crypto. Of course, it's released on YouTube, which is the best way to view it if you want all the visuals and also on the podcast. David, let's get ready to roll it up, roll it up my friend. We're rolling them up. We're rolling them okay. up. Okay. 
Let's okay, market. Let's start with market. What is Bitcoin doing? I'm sharing my screen. We're looking at some price data. We're down. We're down, David Hoffman. Down all the way to the low, low price of $18,380. This is so low, so incredibly low. (laughs) Bitcoin has been above $18,000 for nine days in a row, which is pretty crazy when you think about the last time in 2017, we were at $18,000. I'm pretty sure we weren't above $18,000 for nine hours. Now we're consolidating above $18,000 for nine days in a row. Taking a little bit of a tumble, we were pushing up on all-time highs, but we took a drawback both in Bitcoin price and in Ether price. Ether price has fallen all the way down to $560, you know, these low, cheap ETH prices. Um, but, you know, still consolidating relatively high to where we have been historically in the, in the near term. Okay, so my read of the tea leaves, at least this is the conversation is going, there's, there's maybe a bit of a chill, like a regulatory chill in the US and maybe some other Western countries. We, we talked to the Coin Center folks on, on uh, Tuesday, and it wasn't anything conclusive. It's just like these vague rumors of things brewing. Is that why the market has chilled a little bit over the past week after all of the momentum we've had coming into December? You know, news and price action does tend to line up. I don't know if there's anything proven about like people got scared out of their positions because of this perhaps regulatory FUD. I think this is within the realm of just like normal crypto chop. Uh, Like still prices are relatively high. Uh, And so I, I perhaps you could link those two. I think they're relatively disconnected. The market always wants a reason, particularly human beings always want a reason for this type. Back to the regulatory regulatory stuff in a minute, but we should look at some other metrics while we're talking market. Bitcoin on Ethereum has gone up or down a little bit? Down a little bit. Down a little bit. Down 2,000 BTC from 147,000 BTC on Ethereum to 145,000 BTC on Ethereum. Okay. How about DeFi? So locked in in DeFi is down a little bit, which makes sense given Mm -hmm. the price decrease in ETH and some DeFi tokens. We're down from about 14.7 billion to about 14 billion. So we're we're still hanging in the 14 billions. Mm -hmm. And then DPI, the index for all of DeFi fell down from $116 down to $103. Actually did kind of take a bigger tumble. Yeah, I guess that's, you know, basically that, that's been sort of a consistent thing, right? Mm-hmm. Bitcoin takes a hit, Ether takes a, a larger hit, right? Yeah. And then uh, DeFi kind of follows. That's mm-hmm. been a general trend that, that we've seen in these patterns. Um, ETH hash rate, you know, that, that's something that's actually gone up mm-hmm. even in the midst of uh, some of this, some of this uh, more recent uh, down in ETH price. Like why? So why? What is actually, what is ETH hash rate? Why do we care? And why is it going up? Right. The ETH hash rate is the amount of guesses that people are making about blocks, trying to mine a block. How many people are trying to put forth how many guesses per unit of time to guess a block? Because then they get the Ether, right? And the higher the ETH uh, price, the more economical it is, the more willing you are to burn more electricity to hopefully get that Ether reward in the block. The all-time high uh, or the hash rate generally follows price because that's just how much, that's the security budget and the hash rate follows the security budget. But it also integrates investors' confidence into the future about the asset. Interestingly, miners have historically been like the best traders if you do a retrospective analysis of when they sell their assets because they have the most skin in the game. So when miners are bullish, it's, I, I am leveraged bullish because of the signal that they are offering. And so higher hash rate, stronger confidence in the network, overall better fundamentals. 
we don't usually look at hash rate, but what's interesting about it, I think this week is this is post ETH 2.0 launching. So this mm -hmm. is post ETH staking and yet hash rate is still continuing to go up. I guess that's just for the reasons you stated because ETH price continues to go up. So the miners are still kind of collecting their ETH. Maybe some of these miners will become stakers as well. We, we talked to Hudson Jameson about that during the ETH launch. Uh, so that, that is a definite possibility that they're still mining in order to acquire that ETH so that they can be validators in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally. Well, let's talk about ETH2 because we've got some metrics in right now. ETH2 has been running for over a week now. One week birthday. Some... All right. <laughs> Happy birthday, ETH2. Uh, it's gone okay so far. Wow. Like. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Off the launch pad, into outer space, heading towards the moon. Mm -hmm. We've got uh, 27,000 active validators now. Um, a, a, a very decentralized network from a validator perspective. Mm -hmm. We've had some slashing events, actually, which is super interesting. Some double signs, which are the slashing events that you most want to avoid. It's interesting. These have been custody staking providers that have been mm -hmm. slashed not the at-home hobbyist folks. So that's been interesting. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of staked ETH in here now. I think there's over, over 1.2 million. This might be a, a day or so old. This is probably more now. Over 1.2 million deposited ETH in the, the, in the contract. And the participation rate, this is what I am most excited about. The participation rate is 99%. So that was a number that we like, we didn't know how high it would be because in test nets, it was a whole lot lower because people would stop mining their, their validators, their machines would go off. Well, when real economics are at stake, they are not doing that. They are participating in the validation process uh, because there are funds at stake. And now that's at 99%. Pretty amazing after five years of work, David. Yeah, and that, you're right. That tweet was uh, is a day old, and it says there's a, a 1.2 million. And if going to the launch pad, there is 1.37 million in the deposit contract. So we are already we are still climbing those numbers. That participation rate, the 99% uptime, is really really strong. Uh, and overall, just the the success of the ETH2 launch, I think I think couldn't have been any better. The interesting thing too is this ETH2 deposit contract is consuming like 40k ETH a right. day. So, and that's like three times more than the amount of ETH that is being issued, mm -hmm. right? So all that new issuance, mm -hmm. uh, a large portion of that, if you want to look at the network like this, is just getting locked up in mm -hmm. ETH2 and it can't be touched for the next year and a half, two years yeah. at least. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. So fascinating. Okay. One other thing to, to talk about, and then we'll get to the releases this week. This is USD versus other supply growth. What do you want to say here, David? Yeah, it's interesting to see USDC, the bank-friendly regulated uh, stablecoin, outgrow Tether in, in recent terms. Now, you know, Tether is already so big, so I guess that's it's kind of not really fair to say. Like, it's, it's hard for Tether to maintain that growth when it's already so big. But in the realm of, you know, bank-friendly, government-friendly stablecoins versus, you know, more... more um, uh, off-the-cuff, offshore stable coins, it's interesting to see the bank-friendly one be growing. Um, that's something definitely to pay attention to. It's actually, I think, a good thing because I prefer USDC to Tether uh, from the fact of, like, we have some assurances that every USDC is backed by a real US dollar. We don't right. have those assurances with mm -hmm. Tether. So it is interesting to see the market start to maybe select for USDC over Tether. All right, that's the market. Let's talk releases. What got released last week? 
think a really cool thing Masari. Yeah, a really cool thing is uh, Masari's new uh, website, uh, Masari Data Analytics Company, putting a bunch of just data in front of you, kind of like Bloomberg, right? It seems they're trying to get themselves to be like the Bloomberg of crypto. Uh, really nice UI, plenty of places to, if you have a data-minded friend, this is the place to send them. That's Masari.io. We've talked uh, uh, a bit about their Ethereum report that they just put out too, which mm. you can find here. But we didn't have a Bloomberg sort of analyst-friendly financial interface back in 2017. We had nothing like it. We had some janky coin market cap website, right? Now we do. This is just spotting the evolution of crypto as an asset. Speaking of that, we should talk about this. This is the Yearn Finance Quarterly Report. I had no idea this is coming. But uh, yeah, can you describe what this is, David? Yeah, so a bunch of the urine community members uh, banded together and put a quarterly financial report together to recap what has gone on in the uh, urine ecosystem, which I think is really, really cool. They are doing a very good job producing content that legacy individuals, legacy people that read over financial reports are familiar with and can consume and kind of use old mental models to understand what's going on in urine. So I think the most bullish thing about this is that Yearn as a community are putting forth the resources it, they need to in order to make YFI extremely investable, right? So if you are trying to find alpha and you ha and, and you are coming from the legacy world and you stumble upon Yearn, that becomes really interesting to you. Yeah, absolutely. This is almost a format that's used by publicly traded companies. And of course, publicly traded companies have to issue quarterly reports mm -hmm. uh, on a quarterly basis, along with annualized reports. And I think some people forget that some of these DeFi token assets are actually throwing off cash right now. So right in the, the first page of this report, uh, they talk about the three months ending from uh, ending on October, uh, in October 2021, there was 3.8 million in net income right? This is like a capital asset. Mm -hmm. So I think once traditional financial folks start to understand, wow, these are real assets throwing off real cash and there's reports and this is generated in a decentralized community type manner, that's really going to shake up the, the space and get some attention on the DeFi space. Um, all right, let's talk again about ETH2 deposits because we've got some early takeaways. Uh, maybe we'll highlight a couple of them. Mm -hmm. One one that's interesting we've talked about before, David, is that 80% of all the deposits to kickstart ETH2 actually came in the final two days. I guess that's just human nature. I guess um, yeah, that makes sense. That was predicted. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. This is something that's interesting too, is um, the top, this is sort of a, a distribution of addresses. The top 20 addresses in ETH2 make up less than 50% of deposits. And a good way to look at that is you can look, look at... Um, you know, kind of the, the concentration of a validator power in ETH2 and compare that to the uh, concentration in staking in, in mining pools in mm -hmm. ETH1. And what you find is they are, mining pools are much more concentrated in ETH1 versus ETH2. So the top five mining pools did 70% of the ETH1 blocks, right? Like that's happening today. Whereas... Uh, the top 20 addresses only make up 42% of the total ETH2 validators and blocks mined. So already we're seeing a more decentralized network emerge from proof of stake. Do you have any other takes here? 
Yeah, I think what we are seeing here is like a, a some of the strongest decentralization in the space. And importantly, this is kind of a nice benefit of having like a six year long proof of work phase that has been a massive distribution mechanism for more Ether. Ether as an asset is extremely decentralized and that is making validation of ETH2 extremely decentralized, which was the whole point in the first place. Absolutely. All right. You talk about this news, Dave, because it's pretty cool. Yeah. Circle is launching a payments platform, right? With USDC getting into the realm of Square and Cash App using USDC as the backbone. Famously, Cash App has, you know, you can send dollars on, on Cash App. You can also send Bitcoin on Cash App, but you can't send stable coins and you can't send Ether, right? And so what Circle is getting into uh, is a payments platform, very much like the, the Square that you, um, I, I top my Apple Pay on, on on payment providers, point of sale services, like wherever you use, like have the, have Square. And I guarantee you, if you've swiped a credit card at a normal store in Europe or America, you've used Square definitely. And this is where Circle is in, uh, integrating themselves in that market with USDC, getting into the realm of payments. Pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. More and more crypto banks broaching up upon the fintech landscape, except mm -hmm. they're doing it, of course, built on crypto rails versus fintech, which is traditionally bet, uh, built on bank rails. I think more on that in a bit, but let's talk about this. Maker Governance mm -hmm. has added a few new assets. What assets? What does this mean? Well, we all love Aave. Everyone loves Aave. So that's getting added. So that's absolutely fantastic. Aave has a very strong market cap. So that means more die. But also, interestingly, they are adding Uniswap liquidity provider tokens, which is really cool. This is the A first of MakerDAO. The Uniswap DAI ETH LP tokens and the USDC ETH LP tokens are now collateral inside of Uniswap, which means that you can get put your Ether and your DAI into Uniswap to produce the LP token, get fees paid on that. And then you can put that into MakerDAO and get a loan from your capital asset that's accruing passive fees, which is just pretty cool. That's just money Legos at work. I was about to say money Legos at work. And then you ended with that. So well done, sir. I guess we <laughs> and are, this is uh, why we're coming to mind. <laughs> news. What's in the news right now? Do you want to start with this stat? We're talking about the decentralization of, of ETH2. Let's talk about the number of nodes, David. What's this mean? Yeah, especially during a week when regulatory concerns have been top of mind, uh, there has been an explosion of nodes in the Ethereum network. And if we cut out all of the United States, if somehow uh, the United States went ultra authoritarian and told us that we couldn't run our Ethereum nodes, there are still 8,000 nodes in the rest of the world, which is importantly more than the total number of ETH nodes that there were just a few months ago. So the, the total number of ETH nodes is just going through the... Uh, going through the charts. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And the reason ETH nodes go up is basically because ETH is incentivizing more node participation. So the protocol itself is starting to incent greater decentralization of the network, which is, which is quite a, uh, a powerful force here. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of regulatory, we had the, the folks from Coin Center on, really smart folks, Jerry and, and, and Peter, uh, talking about the Stable Act. For folks that missed that conversation, which is State of the Nation, on the podcast on Wednesday, YouTube on Tuesday, can you give a TLDR of the Stable Act, why that's, that, that was important this week? 
Yeah, the point of the Stable Act is to bring people that are issuing stable coins or people that are just managing stable coins in general into the fold of the banking system and getting them, forcing them to be uh, to be a banking, get a federal banking charter, right? So basically to be just an extension of the Federal Reserve and the federal government, right? And we don't want that. And it goes so far to include something like MakerDAO or DAI to, to getting a banking charter, which is just never going to happen. Right. And then the conversation has even turned to like if our nodes are processing like DAI transactions or USDC transactions, if you are at all culpable in a USDC or non bank chartered stablecoin transaction, then you are involved with this legislation. So it's just an example of bad legislation. However, we are getting Rohan Gray, who is one of the leaders behind the Stable Act, onto the Bankless, uh, Bankless YouTube to discuss this and get his perspective directly. I'm interested to see why what he's so passionate about and why he thinks this is so important just so i can get you know know thy enemy you know know thy enemy <laughs> yeah important to note this is a bill in front of congress um like experts in washington say it doesn't really have a chance of passing but it's kind of a shot across the bow of what could come in the future we always have to be on our guard across uh, against this type of of legislation and there's even folks in congress who uh, have shot it down too which we'll get into a little bit later but we should return i feel like the last four weeks david we talked about microstrategy every single week and it's because microstrategy continues to buy bitcoin what are they doing now <laughs> this is the fourth time that microstrategy has made an announcement to buy bitcoin first they uh, announced that they bought a bunch of bitcoin and then they did it again and then they did it again and then they are now re most recently announcing that they are issuing debt to buy more Bitcoin, right? And what's interesting to me is that it, they are issuing debt in convertible notes. And so if the share price of MicroStrategy goes up, then that debt gets converted back into equity and back into shares of the company. So they're minting MicroStrategy shares to pay for this debt in order to buy Bitcoin. And what's interesting is, is in the, the whole reason why MicroStrategy is bullish on Bitcoin is they think that the money printer is going burr, right? And so because the Federal Reserve is printing money, they are putting Bitcoin on the balance sheets. But then MicroStrategy said, oh, we can print our own equity too and then, <laughs> and then put Bitcoin on the balance sheet with that, right? And so let's not, not forget that Bitcoin isn't just a, a, a rally against um, soft money like the US dollar, but it's, it's something that's anti-printing in general. And if you are able to print something in order to buy something that can't be printed and put it on your balance sheet, that's really interesting. And that seems to be the uh, path that MicroStrategy is going down. It's almost like a weird form of arbitrage because like companies over the past years, uh, well, while the money printer has been going, have been printing their own stock um, or actually printing, printing kind of their own equity and doing these share buybacks, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now instead of doing a share buyback, they're actually buying Bitcoin, putting it on the balance sheet and getting mm -hmm. this sort of arbitrage because they can print their own equity. Yep. Uh, very interesting. And the, the truth of the matter is there aren't a lot of ways that traditional investors who are locked into their brokerage accounts can gain access to Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is potentially one of them. Very interesting e development. And a few more takes on this, actually, is that they, they did this for 400 million, but they were oversubscribed and ended up raising 550 million. So like it's crazy demand. And also um, one last take on this 
is, is Pierre Richard calls this a speculative, a speculative attack on the dollar, where if more and more companies do this, they are borrowing dollars to purchase Bitcoin, effectively going short on the dollar long on Bitcoin. And if more and more and more people start to do this, well, then the dollar just devalues because everyone is selling the dollar and buying Bitcoin, right? And so like he, he calls this a speculative attack, which is interesting. It's fascinating. And last thing for bankless listeners, look, if you're looking for crypto exposure, don't go buy MicroStrategy stock, okay? Like go buy some real crypto on exchange. This is for people that uh, don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, who but don't anyways, listen to bankless. Who don't listen to bankless. So don't you go make that mistake. <laughs> Following in the footsteps mm-hmm. of MicroStrategy though, and to the point you just made, this was huge news that just came out today. Mass Mutual, a mm-hmm. mega... Massachusetts-based insurance firm has also bought $100 million worth of Bitcoin. And what mm-hmm. this, what's interesting about this is they don't have a um, majority share, like champion founder, like Michael mm-hmm. Saylor at the helm. This is a fairly sober right. insurance company that mm-hmm. is taking a portion of their balance sheet assets and going and buying Bitcoin, almost front-running maybe the market, mm-hmm. front-running other insurance companies at this, front-running other publicly traded companies. Mm -hmm. This is almost bigger news than the micro strategy news in my mind. What's your take? Yeah. Michael Saylor is a Bitcoiner, right? And so he puts Bitcoins on his balance sheet. That's what Bitcoiners do. Uh, Mass Mutual is not a Bitcoiner. They don't, they aren't run by like this one rogue individual who gets to dictate what the company does, which is micro strategy. Mass Mutual is doing this, like, like you said, in a very independent and, and well thought out vote, which they voted on. A bunch of people voted on a board, whoever the board of directors of this company is, voted to do this, right? And so there's, it's not just one guy, there's a consensus among a bunch of people to, to put Bitcoin on the balance sheet. And to me, this really indicates that like what we thought was going to be like a gold rush triggered by micro, micro strategy and Michael Saylor, like we didn't know if that was going to happen or not. But with this happening, I think the gold rush is on. Like this is the firing gun for people to put Bitcoin on the balance sheet because now it's now it's normal people, right? It's not Michael Saylor. It's normal people. <laughs> Hurry up! You got to get in the pyramid. Uh, in the pyramid <laughs> the Ponzi, game. Ponzi game. <laughs> everyone else does. Musical chairs is on. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Um, speaking of musical chairs being on, Ray Dalio, I didn't read this full AMA thread. It's in my queue, but give us a takeaway. So he did an AMA on Reddit, which are like quite, like quite famous where the community mm-hmm. gets to ask uh, people like this questions. And one question was about Bitcoin. Dalio has historically been pretty bearish Bitcoin, mm-hmm. but bullish gold and bullish mm-hmm. gold for um, reasons of modern monetary theory. He mm-hmm. like is a full believer that we have entered a, a third level of U.S. government's printing money and kind of the final level, level before they inflate away all of their currency. But he says, go buy gold as a result. He hasn't been warm to Bitcoin. Something a little bit different in this thread. What, what does he say? And what's your takeaway here, David? Yeah, well, he recently posted on Twitter, like, I might be missing something about Bitcoin. And a lot of Bitcoiners thought, were like, yes, we knew we'd get you like warmed <laughs> up to Bitcoin. And it, this seems to be like the follow through to that. Like, this is the second public comment that Ray Dalio has had saying warm things about Bitcoin. He doesn't seem to be like completely converted but he is starting to integrate Bitcoin as like a non-sovereign anti-MMT type of asset that could perhaps fulfill some of the worries that he has about the future of fiat currency. 
And this is the first time he says, I want to highlight the quote. So he's, he's, he's talking about Bitcoin here. So it, Bitcoin, could serve as a diversifier to gold and other such storehold of wealth assets. He's saying it's a store, a store of value, basically, yep. and uh, an alternative to gold. Mm-hmm. Very interesting development there. We'll see if we see some more developments. Um, we've also got some interesting news. We, we talked to the folks at Ether Capital this week for the Bankless podcast. That, that show is going to be coming out soon. Mm-hmm. But this is another like grayscale of Canada, basically. So if you're familiar with grayscale and their GBDC and ETHE um, ETH products in the market, there is a Canadian-based equivalent that just released an Ether fund on the Toronto Stock Exchange. They already put $75 million into this ETH. It's actually getting released, as you hear this, like this morning, sometime today. Um, this is just more ETH being locked up. And I, you know what I think this means, David, is like Ether is benefiting from all of the institutional bridges of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Yet, so Ether has the venture style upside of DeFi. It's like this one-two punch that I think is going to be pretty interesting going into 2020. Uh, and ETH is definitely an asset that's benefiting from this institutional side as well. What's your take? Yeah, Ether is definitely drafting behind Bitcoin. It took Bitcoin 12 years to this point where like public companies are putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet, but now they're doing it in droves, right? Like millions upon millions and millions of dollars are going of Bitcoin are going onto balance sheet. Ether is doing the same in a in a lesser fashion, but at a faster pace, right? So Ethereum as a network is only six years old. It's like roughly half the age of Bitcoin, but it itself is also going onto the balance sheets of both public, public and private companies. And it's it's doing it roughly, I would say maybe one quarter, maybe maybe less than that, the amount that Bitcoin is, uh, but still doing it in half the time. And so uh, definitely benefiting from the wake of Bitcoin and also overall throughout its lifespan, moving faster than Bitcoin has. David, I want to link these next two stories together in the news. The first is this. Uh, France is on the verge of imposing some mandatory KYC, that's know your customer rules, for all crypto transactions. So that's one headline, keeping your mind. Another headline that uh, we've seen is that actually Steve Mnuchin, who is the Treasury Secretary, uh, Secretary in the U.S., is also there's like this rumor in D.C., that he is considering uh, some burdensome regulations on self-hosted wallets in particular, but certainly some enhancements on KYC rules. So first let's talk about France and what that does. And then let's talk about the US and, and Mnuchin and some of these rumors. So first France, what is happening in France? Yeah, so they are simply extending how far they want to go with KYC. With in in the United States right now, you KYC and then you can get a Coinbase account. And now in in Switzerland, you KYC and get a a coin or a, a digital currency exchange account. But then you also have to KYC an external wallet if you ever want to send it outside of the garden. France it looks like it's going to extend that uh, to the specific details of what it's extending it to. I'm not familiar with, but it sounds like it's going to be even more strict than Switzerland which is a little crazy. Uh, And I would like to remind everyone that the no KYC uh, is the default and the additional, uh, the addition of KYC is the top-down regulation. So let's stick with the default guys. Come on. 
Yeah, and there are kind of like three levels that they could go to with this. So one is possibly France is just saying, hey, when there's a crypto to crypto exchange type transaction, that has to be KYC, right? And, you know, we saw that that was coming. That was probably inevitable. But the second step that Switzerland has has taken, which is you can't withdraw to an ETH address, let's say, or a Bitcoin address, unless that address is KYC. That is not currently the situation in France, but might be as a result of this bill. But what does this mean for the US? Like uh, Mnuchin might be going down that route too. And this is a letter that I'm showing you from a congressman from Ohio, which is actually a pro-crypto letter. This is Congressman Warren Davidson, who is is saying uh, in this letter to Mnuchin, hey, don't enact these strict regulatory burden, uh, burdens. If the rumor is true, we want digital self-hosted wallets. We don't want them AML KYC. You'll set the industry back. Don't do this. First of all, do we know if this rumor is true or not? And let's say it is true. What, like, what happens? Yeah, we, I think we should assume that there's definitely something real going on there because a lot of people that, that we respect from both from Coin Center and also Jake Travinsky are saying that there's something there. Uh, the details of this are, are yet to come out, like how strict they're actually going to be. Um, it is interesting that Steve Mnuchin is trying to get something done while he's while he, him and the administration he's a part of is on the way out. Um, however, Steve Mnuchin, friend of the banks, right? Therefore, not a friend of bankless. Uh, and whatever <laughs> Steve Mnuchin is doing, I don't, I don't like it. Uh, and I'm, what I'm, one thing I'm worried about, and this is the conspiracy theorist in me, is like the banks are putting pressure on Steve Mnuchin to like, you know, break some stuff on his way out so that they can get a little bit more protection because they, they know that, that crypto is coming and it's not necessarily a good thing for, for um, the incumbent banking system. Okay, let's say that's the case. Something bad does come in this lame duck uh, pre- presidential situation here. Is that is that the end of crypto? Just crypto price, t- you know, it, it tanked? Is it the end of crypto in the U.S. at least? What well, happens? I'm I'm still running my node. You can you can see it right over there. Uh, so unless <laughs> unless somebody's coming to my house and stopping me from doing that, I think the crypto shall continue. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll have to see what happens. I think we might see some market turbulence if news like that emerges, uh, but we will, uh, we will we'll talk about it as it does. Um, some other things going on, Paxos becoming the latest crypto bank to actually become file to become a real bank. That is happening more and more. Uh, no we also have a, no big surprise. We also have a JP Morgan report, which is mm. kind of echoing maybe some of the sentiments of Dalio. Uh, some analysts from JP Morgan saying that gold will suffer for years because of because of cryptocurrencies, because of Bitcoin in particular here. That's Dude, just big, a demographic Bitcoin preference is, change. It's the cool new toy. Gold is dumb. Gold is a boring toy. Bitcoin is a cool new toy. We talked about the demographic change, right? Like I think we even mentioned this last last pod. Like there's nobody that we know under 35 who's excited about gold relative to crypto right now. Right. Bitcoin number goes up. Gold number doesn't go up very much. (laughs) All you have to do is wait, my friends. (laughs) All right, David, let's do some hot takes. What? If you want to live a bankless life, you need to get a hardware wallet. There is no alternative for storing your crypto in a self-sovereign fashion. That's why I have four ledgers that I use to manage my different crypto assets using the Ledger Live account as well. Ledger Live is like your home base for managing your Ethereum, DeFi, and crypto accounts. It does a really good job of aggregating all of your different Ethereum wallets if you are the type of person that uses more than one, 
but you can also add other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Cosmos or whatever your preferred blockchain is. And then it will display an aggregate portfolio of all your accounts at the main page. One thing that Ledger is doing a really good job of is enabling all the money verbs that me and Ryan talk about with the Bankless Skill Cube enabled in the Ledger Live app. So right now in the Ledger Live app, you can buy, sell, lend, swap, and stake your crypto assets, which is doing a really good job of fulfilling all of the money verbs in the Bankless Skill Cube. Something that's new to Ledger Live is Ledger Swap, where you can swap assets one for another directly inside the Ledger Live application, ensuring trustlessness in your financial activity on Ethereum and on Bitcoin. If you want to learn more about what you can do with a Ledger, go to the blog post, The Power of Ledger Live on the Ledger website where they share some of the more advanced things that you can do with your ledger that you might not have known about. There's a link in the show notes that will take you to the ledger shop where you can get your preferred ledger hardware wallets. I personally like the Ledger Nano X, but I also have both. They're both great options. When you own a ledger, you own your own assets in the way that they have been designed to be held by the user and the user alone. So go get your ledger today to make sure that you are as self-sovereign as possible. The Bankless State of the Nations are brought to you by Wiren. Wiren is DeFi's first self-building community-run project, which I just get really, really excited about. Wiren is a system that seeks out yield in DeFi, and it does that in a number of different ways. Well, a very aggressive way is with the vaults, where you can deposit your preferred asset of choice, and different DeFi experts will come in and generate a strategy for what to do with your deposited token, right? And so it'll go find ways to get yield in that deposited token in DeFi. For those who want to just earn yield on their stable coins, the earn system is for you, where you can deposit your preferred stable coin and Wiren will go and figure out which money market on DeFi, and DeFi is producing the best interest rate, whether it's DYDX, it's Compound or Aave. It, it looks around DeFi to see where the yield is coming from and it directs stable coins automatically so you don't have to. Check them out at yearn.finance to get started and also check out the stats page to see what other people are doing. David, well. let's do some hot takes. What? Absolutely. Or actually, before, before hot takes, no, these are hot takes. What's on your mind? Give me a hot take. Yeah, so here's what's on my mind is that it's becoming clear. And I think the, the majority of the cryptocurrency ecosystem is now understanding that. Maybe this is my, my Ethereum bias, but I think the cryptocurrency ecosystem has now integrated Ether as a non-sovereign store value asset that's alternative from Bitcoin, right? Like now the cryptocurrency industry has produced two non-sovereign store value assets, right? Both Bitcoin and Ethereum fill this niche. And I think that uh, the rest of the world, that, that's, that's the effort that we, that we tried to hammer for the last two years. And it took two years to get the cryptocurrency industry to accept Ether as an alternative to Bitcoin as a non-sovereign store of value. But, and I think we did it. Nice job. Now, moving two years into the future, I think that's when the rest of the world starts to integrate this information as well. It's like, oh, there's Bitcoin. It's the 21 million hard cap currency. And then there's also Ether, which is backed by the Ethereum economy, which is like this economy that's built on the internet, also a non-sovereign store of value. I think that is what I'm, that, that's what's on my mind is like thinking about how the rest of the world is going to include Ether in the category of non-sovereign store of value assets. So you think the train has left the station that's just going to happen at some point that we're maybe a bit ahead of the curve. Bankless listeners are probably mm -hmm. a bit ahead of the curve, but trains left the station. It's inevitable at this point mm -hmm. that Ether becomes a more recognized store of value. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think people that are looking into this space are going to like look in. It's like, yeah, we, have, we know Bitcoin, but like what else is there? Like what, what happens when you go beyond Bitcoin? Like what's behind the scenes there? And I think they're going to discover Ethereum and fall in love. Or maybe again, it's just my bias. <laughs> <laughs> so if that's the case though, just as Bitcoin is in kind of a price discovery mode for the next decade, so too is ETH and possibly even more so uh, given some of the attributes that we've been talking about. Um, will be interesting to see if more folks bite off on that narrative. Ryan, you've been chewing on this idea all week, so I'm excited for you to share what's on your mind. It's just mullets. <laughs> mullets are on my mind, David Hoffman. <laughs> you know, I've wanted to talk about mullet. this. I, <laughs> it's a little bit well, late. You know, to start doing a mullet, mullet bro. I'm surprised. <laughs> Coronavirus mullet. But you know, it's not me that's growing the mullet. So this, the, the, the insight here, the hot take here, is that it's fintech that is actually growing out the DeFi mullet. Um, this is basically, you know, FinTech in the front, DeFi in the back. That's where the party is happening. And I think that um, we're, we're seeing essentially FinTech swap out slowly. It's banking, traditional banking infrastructure and those rails as we've called it in the past for crypto infrastructure. So I'll just drop like, I, I put together an opening note on Bankless about this on Monday, but like five points, Cash App, you're to a 1 billion. They're doing 1 billion per quarter in Bitcoin sales right now. Okay. So FinTech, right. And what, what's, what's in the back? It's Bitcoin. They're buying Bitcoin. Uh, PayPal is now allowing users to purchase any crypto and they're connecting that to 26 million merchants, right? This is just the start. Next, it's going to be stable coins, another DeFi type product. Crypto support is going to come to Venmo next quarter. Robinhood's been doing crypto for a long time. I just looked at their education material. This is kind of like where millennials go and trade stocks, essentially. All their education material, it's like it's, it's about crypto. They're onboarding millennials into the world of cryptocurrency. Coinbase is becoming even more fintech every day. So they're going the other direction. They're issuing a credit card, um, a Visa card actually. Now, when we're talking about Visa, this is probably the biggest news at all. We talked about this last week, but Visa actually announced an integration with USDC. So this is the first time a business actually take out a Visa card instead of using US dollars represented in Wells Fargo or Bank of America or wherever else, they're actually using USDC. This is it. This is the mullet, David. Mm -hmm. This, mm -hmm. is, um, this is FinTech in the front. And now instead of Instead of this nice trimmed haircut banking infrastructure in the back, they're growing <laughs> out the DeFi mullet. It's just all DeFi. It's the party in the back. Right. Um, so that's this, my hot take. I think it's going to happen more and more. This was the uh, the circle announcement that we were just talking about like 20 minutes ago. This was the same thing. It's a it's a square alternative that runs on USDC. So uh, point of sale in the front and then USDC in the back. Yeah, running on Ethereum. So that's that's pretty dope. The bullet's getting longer. I need it's getting longer. <laughs> well, it's getting longer, but, but here's where it links into the regulatory discussion we we're just having is mm -hmm. I think a Mnuchin or, you know, some, you know, stable act is going to have a very difficult time banning crypto and having very strict regulatory um, apparatus around crypto when they've got large fintech fortune 500 companies that are building out this crypto infrastructure because then it's not just the crazies like us who are crypto natives saying, Hey, don't do that. Our freedoms, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's wall street. It's PayPal. It's square going mm -hmm. to us regulators and saying, Hey, if you do this, you force 
innovation out of our companies and you force it outside of the US and they have a much bigger stick in uh, Congress than we do. So once Wall Street gets on board, once FinTech gets on board, they start building on Ethereum, Mnuchin's not going to have the ability. Yeah. No one in Congress is going to have the ability or the political will to start taking really strict regulatory actions against crypto. That's my take. And that's how I think that that links to um, maybe there'll be some negative regulatory action in the near term, but in the medium maybe to long run, won't like, mullets. like the battle's over. <laughs> yeah, not at first, but they'll be popular. No, that's exactly All right, right, well, let's get to the next one, David. What are you excited about at this point in time? Dude, Ryan, I'm excited for all the bullish Ethereum content that we are in the middle of producing and have uh, scheduled to produce as well. We just recorded with the Ether Capital Boys. Uh, I just I was editing it yesterday and it's ready to go. We're going to put that out, I believe, on the 28th. We're recording with Eric Connor, Anthony Cezano, and, and DC Investor Off-Top uh, and uh, all about the bull case for Ethereum. And that's going to be just a fucking awesome. Uh, and, and so uh, there's going to be a bunch of just bullish content coming out of Bankless in the future. And I'm excited to start beating some of those drums. David, you put out this GIF, I think, as you were editing of this like orchestra conductor, yeah, conductor doing yeah. this like in passion. Is that really how you feel when you're editing these podcasts? You feel like the orchestra conductor and just like making magic? Yeah, sometimes when I see when like, you know, three people like you, the two guests, me and are all conversing and we're all just hitting point after point after point. I'm like, yes, like next point, next point, next point. Keep bringing them, keep bringing them. And uh, yeah, that's what that podcast was like. That is awesome, man. Yep. Lots of good content coming at you guys for all sure. Right, Ryan, what are you excited about? I'm excited about 2021. I'm ready for 2020 to be over. Like I'm done with it. I'm done with 2020. I'm also, you know, something else I'm done with, I'm done with a two and a half, three year bear market. Like mm -hmm. I'm done with it. And I think we're going to leave it behind in 2020. I think 2021, we've got all of the, like, I've never seen, I've never been so bullish about crypto, given all of the tailwinds that we have at this point in time. Like Bitcoin has never been stronger. Maybe there's some regulatory uncertainty in the air in December, but like that's going to fade away, I think, uh, in 2021. ETH went through the fires of its first massive bull market down 95%, 95%. Now it's back down like you know, 60% or so, but it's recovered. Now it's on the road recovery. It's on the road to uh, all time high. Some of the thesis we've been talking about and uh, weren't too sure of in 2018 sounded crazy, 2018, 2019, even the DeFi thesis that Ethereum could actually support a DeFi economy. Well, DeFi has grown to 14 billion in assets under management. That thesis has proven out, yes, in a small way, but now it's just a matter of, of scaling those tailwinds. Um, triple point asset, well, we talked about ETH as a triple point asset, staking just launched. Protocol sync thesis, mm -hmm. that's another term, fancy term for the DeFi mullet. Like yeah, it's starting to happen. Like the, yeah, the IP1559 is moving really, really quickly. Like that seems like it could be sooner, yes. sooner like way faster than we thought. Absolutely. So it's all of these things um, that I think are really bullish. We've got a lot of tailwinds, um, you know, we'll get through December. I think 2021 is still going to be like 2017. It's going to be face melting. Um, maybe it comes in the latter half. I'm not sure. Maybe it comes a little bit into 2022. I'm not yeah. sure, but I feel like the worst is behind us mm -hmm. and uh, crypto is on a really good trajectory at this point.
Yeah, I totally agree. I think 2021 is going to be 12 straight months of number go up. So that'll be fun to, to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David, that's been it. I think we, I think we rolled it? it up successfully. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this. As always, this is not financial advice, ETH, Bitcoin, DeFi. They're all risky, but this is the frontier. It's not for everyone. David, my lighting is off. My face has been glowing in this weird way the entire time, but we got through this. Awesome to be with you guys on the Bankless Journey. Thanks for joining us.